different people value different things in life some people value money some people value success some people value respect some people value happy family right and 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 no one's there to judge them and anything it's just that if you know, if you want success and you know then you just have to work hard for success and yeah everyone has their own choices like some to some people money really isn't a big thing they like and and that's fine you're listening to ecomonics a debutify podcast your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. High-level marketer, interviewer, and coach. My talk with Alaric Moses Ong blends micro and macro, one of my favorite blends. Alaric's wide array of experience comes from and taps into a psychological background, as well as a unique religious one considering the theological pursuits his siblings got into. This is a great episode for getting a glimpse into what could be next for you, for all of us. Alaric Moses Ong, it is good to have you here in Ecomonics. How are you doing this evening? How are you feeling? I'm doing great, all the way from Singapore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's 10 a.m. for me, and it is uh, 10 p.m. for you, so uh, a, a pure 12-hour difference between the two of us. It is, it is cr- I, I got to say, it is crazy just like how good the internet is at this point, the, the time delay, and yet it feels like no time passes at all between my message here to you. Uh, light, speed of light, I don't know how it works, but I'm thankful for it. Yeah. Great. Well, um, I know that I've, I've got you for some time, but I don't have to have you for forever, so let's, uh, let's jump right into this uh, I, I was really happy to see some of the work that you've done. You've definitely built a great uh, profile for yourself um, uh, in, in some regards, and we're going to have you uh, be the fella to let us know about it. So opening question, tell us what you do and what you're up to these days. So basically, I've done five different businesses before. Right now, I run a coaching and seminar business. So I've got about 1,500 paid clients where I train them on sales, marketing, and branding. Yeah, And then like on the side, I own a few businesses that just pay me a bit of passive income here and there businesses that are my students or my clients and then I invest in them yeah oh okay so so people who uh who, who study under you if the business goes well enough and you can in, invest in them afterwards yes yeah, that's, uh, that's not a bad that's not a bad system and I, I can see that also incentivizes the students too if it motivates them that you know if this goes well enough then I can actually uh gain the uh uh I gain, gain the favor of senpai and next thing I know it's it's now something that uh, is being invested in yeah yeah well, I, I, there's, there's so many different things that I, that I want to ask you about, because um, you've, like, like you said, you branch out into a lot of different areas. And one thing that I don't get to talk to too many people about is, you know, their own interviews that they do, you know, your interviewer as well. I, frankly, to be fair, I do talk to quite a few people, many of whom do interviews, but we don't get too much into it. And what I was impressed by was, I guess, you know, to denigrate the people that I talked to, but like, the, the caliber of the guests that uh, that you brought onto the show, um, it, you know, it's impressive. There's some really some like some world leader um, people who who you've interviewed with. So, uh, one thing I'd like to know is, I guess, you know, at like what point did you get to to when you started doing these interviews? And I'd like to hear some of the process that you go through when you're when you're securing these guests and bringing them onto your program. Sounds good. Okay, so maybe I just give you a bit of context first. Um, so the people I've interviewed are people like Lauren Ridinger, who owns a, uh, who is the co-founder of Shop.com, which is a billion-dollar company. Um, people like um, Hartlin Ray, they have 5.7 million followers on TikTok. Um, people like Hofit Golan, she's a travel influencer with like 2.7 million verified followers on Instagram. Spectacular Smith, the founder of uh, Grumpy Cat, which is a $100 million brand. Um, like George Ross, who was the former right-hand man of Donald Trump. And then right now, he's uh, like he is the 
like George Ross, yeah. So he's also the coach of JT Fox. I've also interviewed like George, uh, JT Fox, uh, Richard Tan. Richard Tan is the founder of Success Resources, $100 million company, right? Okay, so um, I would say when I first started interviewing, it was it was not as easy. Like when I first started interviewing, I didn't get as high caliber people. And I think the, the first high caliber person I kind of got was George Ross, right? And I kind of paid for it. So I paid for something else and, and that, that an interview with him was part of it, right? And the, the thing about interviews is that once you interview a few high-caliber people, everyone else wants to be interviewed by you, yeah, because like of the branding by association and all that. And one thing I do for all my for all the people that I interview is that I uh, I brand them alongside all the other people that I've interviewed. So, for example, um, when I do an interview, I I will show I show uh I'll show myself interviewing them and, and then after that I'll show them I'll show a video of me interviewing like Marcos Moore who makes 120 million dollars a year George Ross uh, and all these other speakers and then after that I show myself with them so when their audience looks at this interview they will be thinking well if Elric Ong interviews all these other successful people and now Elric Ong interviews this person therefore this person must also be at the same level or the same caliber yeah so um, for me it's very simple um, when I first started interviewing, it was because of Clubhouse. So, like, I saw some people's profiles on Clubhouse, and then I just uh, reached out to them on Instagram, right? And then I just message message them, and I say, "Hey, uh, my template is I I have a standard template, right? So my template is always like, hey, um, I I listened to you on Clubhouse and received a lot of value, and I was wondering if you'd be open to doing a free interview where you could share about your entrepreneurship journey with my audience. I interview other people like, you know, I've interviewed other people like, and I put all the people that I've interviewed. Uh, like the maybe the top six or something because I've interviewed like twenty to like maybe maybe about forty people right so far and then after that I say yeah so will you be open to a free interview and most of the time like maybe about fifty percent of them will say yes or maybe thirty percent of them will say yes some people they don't read my message because like when you message someone on Instagram it, it appears in the messaging request so for example like one of the interviewees uh Hofit Golan she she replied me two months later because it never went through to her main box but. Um, we we managed to do the interview and she shared like how she grew her Instagram to 2.7 million verified followers, which was quite interesting. And uh, I've learned a lot from that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so that's basically my whole process for how I, how I interview people. Yeah. So, so one thing that I, uh, I, I perceive um, with the show here and, you know, the audience will have to forgive me every now and then we get meta, but you know, uh, take it or leave it is sometimes the 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 caliber of our guest uh, lifts us up, but then all the times I, I do feel this obligation for the show to lift up others. Like we do have so many people who are maybe starting out, they they're they're succeeding and they're doing well. Uh, we don't talk to anybody who's not succeeding, um, but not, not everybody has that same um, prestige that uh, Debutify as like a default has. So, uh, in in your view, are is there a I guess like a um, uh, like a barrier for entry or a certain caliber that you want to stick to in order to, I guess, protect the reputation of everybody who's come through your doors? Correct. So uh, I only approach people for interviews. Um, people don't approach me for interviews. And if and I've had people asking me whether I can interview them, which I've rejected um, before, yeah. Or um, some sometimes I charge for interviews. So for example, like if... And, and it's, a, it's a pretty interesting concept that I learned from uh, another mentor who did it as well. And uh, what he does is he charges me like $5,000 or $30,000 to interview them, right? Because the, um, he's he's a pretty high-level guy, right? And when he interviews people, um, now everyone starts thinking, if, if this person interviews or interviews them, 
that means they must be a somebody, right? So um, sometimes I charge for interview for interviewing, but very, very seldom. But most of the time, it's free. Uh, so I only approach people that... So, so if I approach someone, that means I have the thought that if they say yes, I'll interview them. Yeah, I, I won't ever approach someone who I don't think I'm, I'm going to interview. Um, in terms of barriers to entry, um, I would kind of research them a little bit first. And, um, you know, just to see if the claims that... Because everyone is a millionaire on Clubhouse. Everyone is a seven-figure, eight-figure, nine-figure billionaire on Clubhouse, right? Um, so it's, it's very important to see whether, like, is that really true? Is, is that consistent, you know, across yeah, social media channels and all that kind of stuff? And uh, so, yeah, so in terms of barrier to entry, I kind of select, I'm quite uh, selective about that, yeah. And so one of the things that I, I'd like to get your, um, your take on, too, is the preparation process. And so I, I, I'm happy to reveal how, how I do it. I usually, so our, our producer, she will collect uh, the information, come up with other questions she can come up with. And then I spend uh, 30 minutes just because I've only got so much time on the clock to do it. Uh, and I just, you know, I listen to the interview, uh, to other interviews, uh, other content, and I just, I come up with, I usually shoot for about 20 questions because um, my philosophy is I always want to run out of time. I don't want to run out of questions. Um, so, and and that's what I go into because I just always want to know that I'm like, I'm as prepared as possible. And and thankfully, you know, as I'm learning things, it's become easier to just kind of go with the flow of the conversation. But um, our, our audience can see like, if they go back to the very beginning, they can kind of see like, it's gone more off topic. Like in one of the early episodes, I asked the decom kid, "Oh, what would you name? Your, what would you name your kid?" Like, okay, you know, at a certain point, we we stopped talking about stuff like that. Um, I, I'm 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 I'm, inter- I'm interested in knowing is you know what you do to uh, to get you know to be prepared. Like, how do you uh, set up your questions? Uh, stuff like that. Happy to just yeah, just really hear about it. Good question. Okay, so um, for me, um, because interviews aren't really my main. Like, I don't make any money from doing interviews. But I do learn a lot of stuff, which and I do get a lot of value from doing interviews, but I don't make any money from interviews, right? So it's not my main source of income. So even like, unlike you who do it so professionally, for me, I kind of like haphazard, like I wouldn't say haphazardly, but I, I don't put as much effort into each interview. So my process is very simple. Um, I'll just uh, copy the bio from, let's say their website or something, or I'll ask them for their bio, right? They'll, they'll just tell me their bio. I'll just introduce them. And sometimes I think of maybe a few questions, maybe three questions, five questions. And then most of the time, I just flow on from there. So like while they're speaking, there will always be new questions that come up. And then I just like, um, I, I just uh, uh, flow on from there. Yeah. So I actually have like a Google Docs uh, where I type the questions down. Like because during the interview, when you are thinking of the questions, it's very hard to pay attention to them. So what I like to do is uh, I just, when I, when I think of the question, I'll just type it on Google Docs. And then once they are done, because I don't want to interrupt them, right? So once they're done, then I will um, ask the next question. Um, when it comes to editing, I, I barely edit much. Um, most of the time, I just take the, the video, right? I take out the video, right? I have an interview intro and an interview outro, okay? So the interview intro is like about 20 seconds where I, I show like myself interviewing all the other speakers, uh, like all the other entrepreneurs. And the outro is about two minutes where I show myself interviewing all the other entrepreneurs, but like it's a two-minute version of the video. So whenever I take a video, all I do is I get the video, right? Um, I, I split the maybe first 30 seconds where I introduce them, and then I put the intro, okay? And then it's the content, which I, I normally don't even edit the content at all. Maybe I'll put the name of the speaker, that's all for, the, for 20 seconds, like maybe a text, right? And then I don't edit the content at all. And then I just put the outro, and then I just render. Yeah, so that process takes me maybe about 10 minutes. Um, and then I upload it to YouTube. And I will actually do this thing called um, like keyword 
um, I will I have a software that um churns out keywords for me. So my 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 purpose is that I want it such that when they search that influencer's name or that entrepreneur's name, they will find my video in maybe the, the first page of YouTube. So I have this um software that um churns out keywords for me so that it'll rank uh the video onto YouTube. Um and then I pay uh I, I pay someone to design the thumbnails for me. And normally she will design the thumbnail about one week later or two weeks later. But I'll just post the video first and uh and, and, and when the thumbnails are ready, they come in. Yeah. So I just post so normally when I when I uh, do an interview, um within two hours it's it's up on YouTube. Or sometimes at the most if I take a while to maybe two days, yeah, but never never longer than that. So uh, j- just so uh, the audience and uh, and and I guess yeah, you too uh, understand, we're not going to spend like all day talking about interviews, but just being being interviewed uh, myself, you know, I, I wanted an opportunity to compare some notes, and it is an important part of the uh, of not only the e-commerce industry, but frankly any industry. Um, so you know, I was just uh, I was just care about this. A couple more things that I want to cover about this, and then we'll we'll shift gears. Um, so if you, if you, if you want to keep this, if you want to if you know the name of the software, I'd love to hear. Name, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, if if it comes to you, I'd I'd love to hear. Feel free to send me an email on that one. But that is important, right? You know, figuring out what the keywords are and if the the software uh, can can help that speed that along. That's great. Um, and one one point that I just wanted to uh, acknowledge is. I mean, yeah, like it's uh, you know a great deal of my my profession is, is interviewing, so I, I have that um, uh, that approach to it. Some of it does have to do with the fact that like while I am building my e-commerce um, presence, you know, I'm working on my own store, I have uh, I have a reputation with this with this company. I, I have not gone to your level, like full 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 disclosure. So I think having more organic experience does make it easier for you to understand what the nature of the conversation is, and it, and I think the questions come more naturally to you that way. Okay, so to be honest, I only started interviewing people about less than six months ago. Yeah, so I, I only started interviewing people when Clubhouse came out. Um, before that, I probably did like maybe two interviews in the last five, like three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to thinking of what questions to ask, most of the time I th- I ask it from my perspective, which means I I I take it that um if it's gonna be valuable for me, it's gonna be valuable for my audience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. So, so like, like some people they try to dumb down the interview, like, like you know, to cater to the masses, you know, to cater to the audience. But for me, I do the interview in a um. So sometimes, let's say I have a, I have, a, I'm there's something on my mind. Let's say, for example, when I, I when I interviewed Lauren Ridinger, okay, she owns a co-founder, co-founder of billion dollar company, shop.com, right? So, um, the, what was at the back of my mind was, okay, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm thinking of like, do I want to take on more? Like, I'm thinking of should I retire or should I continue scaling? You know. And if I continue scaling, I might have to take on debt and raise capital and there's, there's risk when, whereas I could play it safe and just use the cash I have right now and, you know, kind of like just have a very chill entrepreneurship journey. And when I talked to Lauren Reidinger and she told me that she built a billion dollar company without raising any capital, without taking on any debt, that just blew my mind, right? Yeah. So that, that gave me a paradigm shift and that solved a problem, a present problem, like a present thought or a present question that I have always wanted to ask. Yeah. And uh, sometimes like, I ask them about what's their morning routine and they tell me, hey, they don't have a morning routine, you know, and, and it sh- shocks me like, because I myself don't really have a morning routine. So, so now I know that, okay, if Marcos Mura, who makes $120 million per year, doesn't have a morning routine, maybe I, you know, maybe I can still build $120 million per year business without a morning routine. Yeah. Um, so I, I always ask questions based on uh, what questions I, I have, right? And to me, it's kind of like a conversation. So I never, ever run out of questions. Yeah, there's sometimes where I don't vibe well with the interviewee. Maybe sometimes because like the connection of the audio or, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes it just doesn't vibe well. 
So I will uh, end the interview in like maybe 20 minutes or 15 minutes. Um, sometimes those are advice where we can do like one hour, you know? Yeah, so um, yeah, that, so so that has never been an issue. It, it, to me, it's just like having a normal conversation and uh, just to answer the questions that I already have in my mind, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that was like the, the other uh, question that I had uh, regarding this uh, segment of, uh, of our episode here was like, you know, what are some of the major takeaways or some things that really stick out in your, in your mind? And, and I appreciate that it has to do with a lot of like, you know, where you are in your, in your journey and how that reflects um, the, the, the questions that you want to ask somebody. And yeah, it is kind of a surprise to hear that like some people who are, you know, uh, at that level, they're, they're that successful, and they don't necessarily have a morning routine. And I guess my takeaway to that is that you know there really is every kind of person out there on the planet. And let's just say, for instance, I I discover somebody I haven't yet, but let's just say I discover somebody whose day very much so reflects my day. That would be the kind of person that I would want to take more advice from because there's already a lot of similarities between their mindset and my mindset. So a lot of it is just exploration. And and then one of the things that I've been trying to do is you know, endear each guest to the audience so the audience can decide, I really connected with that person. That's the person whose advice I want to take, not just on this, but on uh, whatever else there is. It's about finding, it's about finding people that we have uh, similarities to. Uh, every, uh, you know, the, the universe expands out and everybody in, uh, it's the philosophical, philosophical idea that everybody that we meet is somewhat of a reflection of ourselves, but some people reflect us more than others. You know, it's certainly, it's certainly true in dating. And, and uh, one thing I like about interviews, uh, one thing I love about the internet is that it allows us to connect with people, you know, from the other side of the world, which last time would have never been possible. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it's just amazing. Like, like for me, sometimes I read a book and then I just message the guy and say, hey, I re- just read your book. Would love to interview you. And he actually comes on the show. For example, like let's say Brad Sugars. Uh, my mom has heard, well, like my mom has heard of Action Coach. She has signed up for Action Coach for maybe 10, uh, five years ago or 10 years ago, but she's never met Brad Sugars before. But like, I, I, but through interviews, I was able to um, connect with them. Um, so to me, even though I don't make much money from doing interviews, but um, in terms of the network, in terms of the knowledge, and in terms of creating value for the audience, uh, because it does these three things for me, that's that's what con- uh, allows me to continue doing interviews. Um, but right now I, I don't. So I don't. But right now I don't really look out for doing interviews. Like um, I'm not so much on Clubhouse anymore. Um, but if once in a while, if a good guest appears, like once in a while, if I think of a good guest, right, uh, I would just message them and you know I, I'll just try my luck. Like I've I've I, I've uh, messaged a lot of billionaires. I've even messaged people like uh, human fatita and all this kind of stuff. Um, of course, some of them don't reply, but but that's fine. You know, yeah. Well, I, I'm uh, I'm gonna have to listen to the one um, I forget I forget his name, but he was uh, the right hand man of Donald Trump. Uh, oh, Josh Trump, yeah. Josh Trump, yeah. I'm not not gonna lie, I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of Trump. So it's just to, just to listen to somebody by proxy, that would be a good one for me. So I gotta make a note of that. So we're, so we're shifting gears. So this next one that I wanted to ask you about, um, we'll, we'll see how this goes. This could be a granular thing. This could be a philosophical thing, could be a mix. But one of the messages that, you know, you, you put out that I really took to is, you know, a system where everybody wins, um, whether that's an economic system or a just a, well, actually, if it's not an economic system, then who knows what else it could be. So clearly, economics would have to um, uh, be a huge factor into this. So there's a philosophy side of it. Uh, I'd like to hear where, you know, where this came from, from within you. And 
is there a pragmatic approach to this? Is are there tangible things that we can do, um, whether that's locally or even on a on a global scale, to create this system? Because you know, all all things having an opposite or an equal reaction, if there are winners, then can there be a system of winners without losers? Okay, to give a bit of context to the audience, so my vision is a world where everyone wins. Okay? So I want to create a world where everyone wins. And my mission is to empower people to become the best versions of themselves. Okay. Now, where I get this concept of a world where everyone wins was um, during a seminar. There was one time there was a seminar and, and um, one of the games in the seminar was people asking each other, like, okay, so you, you have a partner, right? And then you ask the person, what do you want? What do you want, right? And some people say, oh, money or uh, success or uh, I want to help my parents, respect, and all this kind of stuff. But for me, what really resonated with me was where I want a world where everyone wins, okay? And that was something that electrified me and it makes me feel alive. If I can create a world where everyone wins, it makes me feel alive, okay? Now, now is that possible? That's absolutely possible. Let me, if you look at it, okay? Human beings now, okay, are way healthier. We are living longer. We are richer than 500 years ago, okay? 500 years ago, right? Uh, okay, or let's say if you look at the caveman days, people, have to go and hunt for rabbits. People have to, you know, right now you can make money from the internet. Right now you can make money by opening up your laptop and making money, right? That's never been possible before in, in like 500 years ago. If you have a if you have a phone right now, you you have more technology than what the president of the United States have had a hundred years ago. Okay. All he had was a telephone, right? So if you look at it, human beings now are wealthier. There's more of us, we are living longer. This might be debatable, but we are happier. Some people say, oh, last year, last time we were happier. I'm not sure. Do you think in cold wars and all that we were happier? I'm, I'm not sure. Okay, but I think that we are generally happier uh, as a uh, as a as a whole. So it's it's definitely possible to create a a world where everyone wins, where everything's win win. Okay, and one of the and one of the ways to do that right is a business philosophy that I have, where where every business deal that I do, I want it to be win win. Okay, and to the point where I want the person, other, where I actually want the other person to win more than I win. Okay, so every sales offer that I sell, every product that I sell, every business deal that I do, every everything that I do, it has to be win-win. Okay, now, so it cannot be they win I lose. Okay, because that's not sustainable. It cannot be I win and they lose. If that's the case, I don't want to do the deal. Okay, I don't want to win at someone else's expense. Right, um, it has to be win-win. Okay, and I don't mind the other person winning more than me. Okay, now. Why, why I start com- coming up with this is because I realized, right, that whenever I try to win more than the other person, okay, the, the total people that end up doing business with me um, shrinks, okay? Because, like, let's say if, if I always want to, if it's win-win, but I always want to win more than the other person, uh, maybe I can only partner up with five people. But maybe because I'm willing to let the other person win more, okay, they win $10, I win $1, that's fine, so long as I still win, right? Um, but this allows me to be able to partner up with 500 more people. So in net-net, I still win more, than someone who's only willing to win more than the other person. Yeah. So I think that's that's uh, a philosophy. So I always, uh, and, and Gary V does talk, talk about it as well, about 51-49 relationships. So um, in every relationship that I go into, I expect to give 51 and only receive 49. Okay. Because if both people expect to um, win more than the other person, that the relationship won't be sustainable. Right. But by both, both people in the relationship are willing to give more than they get. Okay and the other person is also willing to give more than they get, both will be very happy in, in, in the relationship. It's a lot more sustainable that way. So it's definitely possible to create a win-win uh, scenario. In fact, win-win-win. And like where the invest in, in an economic model where the investors win, the employees win, the, the customers win. And yeah, so, so it's, 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 it's definitely possible. It's, it's done before, yeah. 
and there are some i mean there, there's some things that i've i've addressed on the show uh very very early on uh, because i think for a, a lot of people uh who are uh, consciously aware and are, have access to the internet of what you know goes on in the world you know we hear about the conditions that people endure when they're making iPhones or, or sweatshops. And, and we hear about parts of the world where things just aren't, you know, very uh, uh, agreeable, uh, just to, to put it charitably. And, and one, and one area that I, that I'd like to explore briefly, and, and by the way, I, I have looked into this more and I've gotten a little bit more of a, of an insight into it in that there are different groups that are keeping their eyes on this. And so it's, it's not like that this is uh, hidden in the shadows. It's actually quite open. And, and it's one of the reasons that um, motivates people to think a little bit more carefully about who they do business with. So, for instance, you hear about some of the conditions that people have had when they're working at Amazon. And, and we hear that and we think, you know what, that actually makes me a little less inclined to order at Amazon. It makes me a little bit more motivated to look for an individual brand for somebody who's, who's a little bit more uh, motivated to create a more win-win scenario where even though they sell a product, they also provide content, they provide value, they create a community. They really want their, their, their audience to win tenfold. If, if all I get is a sale out of it, like you say, they're, they're $10 versus my $1. In, in fairness, if this isn't an element that um, we can talk about, that's cool. We can always move on to the next one. So, so, so I have my own take about that as well. So sure. for example, like some, some people say, oh, um, a lot of companies are exploiting like um, lower, like lower income uh, countries. Okay. Yeah. Now, so, uh, okay. Assuming, okay, so sometimes the factory conditions and everything are really tough and it really um, sometimes there's really abuse and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. I'm just going to interject once. And one thing that I really want to point out is that this is not specific to one region. Some regions are worse than others, but these things happen all over the world. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Got, got it. So, okay, assuming, let's say, it, um, let's say um, uh, an MNC, okay, a multinational company, um, uh, let's say, uh, okay, I, let's, let's not name a company, but let's say a multinational company asks um, maybe Indian workers or Vietnamese workers or whatever to make shoes, okay? Um, and and the reason why they do that is because they can get it cheaper labor than in America, right? Or in, in other countries. And I don't see anything wrong with that because what's the alternative? Would you, you see, it's a willing buyer, willing seller. The Vietnamese or the, uh, in, uh, or the Indian or the whatever countries, right? They are willing to work at that, that pay, right? And they are willing to hire them at that pay, willing buyer, willing seller. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's okay. What's the alternative? The alternative is, that they don't even have a job. And then, they, you know, they don't even have a job. That's even worse, right? They are creating jobs for people and they still get blamed for, for like all these companies, they are creating jobs for people and they still get blamed for creating jobs for people, you know? So, so, so I, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Yeah. Right. No, I, I, I hear you on that. Um, I think some of it is it, a lot of it comes down to relativity. Like when we were just saying, you know, uh, we're, we're caveman happier than we are now, you know, there are parts of the world right now who have completely remained off the grid and and maybe their 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 experience is more a positive on a day to day basis, but they also live in fight or flight more often. You know what I mean? Like if, the, if a tiger comes out and, and starts attacking them, well, that's you know that's a pretty bad day. Where you know conversely, you know I could wake up today and I can be under stress. You know I could be in a period of stress for for a long time. And so a, lo a lot of it is relative experience. Is just because I see things my, my way. I, I have to disassociate how I view the world with how they might view the world and, and the places they're at. Yeah, so, so, so that's my take about it. Like, to me, it's win-win, you know? If, if the, that company employs uh, someone in a, in a country for cheaper labor, it's win-win because it's that, that cheaper labor is still better than the alternative, which is not a job, which is even, you know, yeah. 
So that's just, that's just my take on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I I value it a lot, and 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 there's a lot of other uh, factors to this, which we don't have to go uh, too far because we can we can get into other subjects as well. But I think some other things to keep in mind too is that. You know, people are are driven by their own ambitions. You know, we have um, um, a large scale immigration. We have people all over the world. Uh, they come to other parts of the world because they're chasing different opportunities. Because in their mind, they, you know, they they want something more. That ambition is an individual drive. And conversely, we have people here who have all the opportunity in the world, and they don't want to do anything. You know, the, 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 all, all they want is for is for the government to give them a thousand dollars a month, which, by the way, I, I wouldn't mind. And, and that's fine. You know, yeah. it's, it's not their fault as well. Like, like different people value different things in life. Some people value money. Some people value success. Some people value respect. Some people value a happy family. Right. And, and, and no one's there to judge them. And it's just that if you, know, if you want success and, you know, then you just have to work hard for success. And yeah, everyone has their own choices. Yeah. Like some to some people, money really isn't a big thing in their life. And and that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I I appreciate that. And and what I what I what I think is you know in 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 that in that view, the we 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 do have systems set up where anybody who participates can win. You know the it, in in the in in the system we have, it's not even just yet, but it is uh, it is still a, a many steps in the right direction. So uh, I'll I'll leave it at that. Now you have a you have a very long list of testimonials. I, I went I went through them and I said, wow, there's you know every I, I, honestly like I will see testimonials. I'll see you know a couple of videos here and there, but but that was like a book, a tome uh, full of them. And I wanted to, so one of the things I'm going to ask you throughout this, by the way, have I already well I didn't even have to ask you once you just did it anyways, which is like some of the insights and takeaways you've had from the people that you've interviewed. So I'm asking you a similar question here, which is. You know, what are some of the um, some uh, testimonials, some of the um, the people who've uh, studied under you? What are some stories that stick out in your mind of some of the or some of the case studies that um, may, maybe even they have had somewhat of an impact on on your view of the world, or and if not that, conversely, how you had an impact on them? Got it. So um, to give a bit of context to the audience, um, if you go to my website, ericong.com, you can see like a whole list of testimonials, like literally hundreds of testimonials of people who have been through my sales, marketing and coaching programs. Um, so a few reasons why the testimonials are there. Number one is because I believe that they've really gotten value. Like more, like to me, I want to make sure that they always get more value than they pay me. Okay. So if, let's say they pay me a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks. I want to make sure that they get, you know, way more value than what they pay, right? So I think um, so long as you keep over-delivering, naturally the testimonials will keep coming. And number two is because they actually get results because the, the, the method actually works. Like I've used the same method to get 1,500 clients. Um, so like when I show people how to do sales, marketing, and branding, like they, re- like they really learn how to do it and um, they're able to get results, okay? Some testimonials that stand out, for example, I've got a, 20, uh, a 19-year-old, okay? Right now he's 21, but two years ago, uh, when I was coaching him last time, he uh he only knew how to do lead generation. So he was very good at marketing. He was, he was getting leads at like $6 per lead. He generated hundreds of leads. He had done tons of appointments, but he never had any sales, okay? Like zero sales. So he always wasted money on ads and everything. And then uh, I had a coaching session with him. I showed him how to um, pitch, right? I have this thing called five-step consult and a 10-step pitch. Um, so I showed him my whole 15-step process, right? And um, in... August twenty uh August twenty nineteen okay he he made um he made eleven thousand five hundred dollars in two days okay uh close a seven thousand dollar deal on the first day of August close a four point five k deal on the second day of August now if you ask me for for nineteen year I think that's that's pretty amazing okay now but that's, that that didn't stop there in December of twenty nineteen um he closed uh he closed forty six thousand dollars in sales okay just the first three days of December alone he made about 
$15,000 plus. And it was one day, just one day alone, he made $17,000 plus. Okay? How he did it was he sell a coaching package, his own coaching package, which was a $5,740 offer. And he sold three of that in one day. And in, in that month, he sold about eight of that. So um, I showed him exactly how to sell. And I believe his life will never be the same again after learning how to sell. So that's just one. Another one is uh, this uh, lady, she's like 20, 20 something, 20, she's probably about 26 years old this year, okay? And she wanted to raise capital. So she and her boyfriend were going to buy properties and everything, and they didn't have capital. I told her, it's easy to raise capital. So I showed her, I, all I did was I showed them a YouTube video that I've done, okay? Where I raised $50,000 in 15 minutes. Okay, if you actually search YouTube, like, um, Elric Ong raises $50,000 in 15 minutes, you will see that video, okay? Now, so I showed her that video, and... After she watched that video, in one week, she raised $100,000. So she actually did better than me. I raised $50,000 in 15 minutes, but she raised $100,000 in one week, okay? And, and now when I look back, I realize, okay, number one, it's because she saw the video and she understood the whole process of how to do it. But the main um, value that I could give her was the belief that it's possible. Because when she saw the belief that it is possible, right? Um, then she, she started believing in herself that she could do it. Yeah. So I've helped like property agents. I, like the list could really go on and on. I helped a property agent close a $1.8 million property deal within one week after the course. He made $80,000 in commissions. I helped a network marketer. He's, he's making 100K a month. Um, using a five-step consult and 10-step pitch, he closed um, two $3,400 deals in one day. I have a 21-year-old. He, he spoke at a webinar. In one webinar, he made $21,000 in one webinar. I could go on and on, but like, those, are the, those are the top of my mind. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I know that if people want to get like the full, um, full scope of what to do, they can check out the video. But I got to ask a little bit more about, um, about how you're able to raise that kind of money in such a short amount of time and how she was able to do uh, even more of that. So it was really just about like the, the formula to this. And it, it didn't seem like she had, she didn't have very much clout going into it. You know, because you're saying that she was trying to raise capital to, to own property. So, you know, somebody at that at that level only has uh, so many resources available to them. So I, I, I would love to hear a little bit more about it. But again, for our audience to understand, the, the video will give them the full explanation. So um, you can still watch the video to watch the full pitch. It was okay. So basically that pitch was 15 minutes, but uh, I taught uh, content for 45 minutes that explains to them about money and explains to them about, you know, sales and everything. So if you look at it, the whole pitch was about six, 60 minutes, okay? But I only pitched the investment offer in 15 minutes and I raised $50,000, okay? Um, so how to pitch is always like, it's like um, it's like baking a cake, okay? There's a formula for baking a cake. There's a formula for losing weight. There's a formula for everything, right? So basically, I just, uh, if you can go look at the whole video, okay? It's, it's public. Um, but basically, I shared like um, why we are raising the capital, okay? How how this capital can produce um, interest and uh, income. And also like the, I also showed like why, like why I'm doing it and why it's safe to invest. And uh, I, I think at the end of the day, sales is really about conviction. Like so long as you, you have the, like where people can sense the tone of voice, the conviction, right. whether you know, like yeah, I say, I tell you, this one really can make money on, really no joke, confirm can make money on, you know? <laughs> right. So just that, con just that conviction, right? Um, I think that's the key. It's not so much just a script, but it's mainly, there's two, there's two parts of sales, okay? There's the science of it and there's the art of it. So the science of it is like following a script, following the, because you, you cannot like just drop the price at the start, right? Like you have to follow, bring them through different, um, like, you know, handle different objections and everything before you drop the price, right? Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a template to follow, right? But at the same time, there's the art of it. And the art of it is the energy behind it, the conviction behind it, the, 
the rapport that you build with the audience and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and and just to uh, revise it one more time uh, to to check out the video um, uh, for uh, for the full scope of it. I guess the one other question that I have before I move on to the next thing I wanted to ask you is, and and this probably comes back to what you're saying about the the formula too, but to have that confidence that it is going to to work out and that the investment is going to follow through. Nobody knows ever we can't predict the future to the perfect degree. Otherwise we would just use the lottery. But um where does that conviction come from to know that your what you're pitching is going to uh, be worth the investment? Okay, so for, for that investment that I pitched was uh, to invest in my company, right? Which I'm confident that I can grow my company. And I'm super confident I can grow that. Okay. So it was not based on um because like for me, I actually built my company from zero, like literally zero capital to $1.2 million in revenue in 18 months. Okay. Um, so it, it came from a, okay, so my confidence comes from, a, from certainty because of past experiences and all that. Okay. Now, but here's the thing. Um, it's a good question to point that out because sales is not like a method. Uh, the, 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 what makes a good salesperson might not be the same thing that makes a good mathematician, right? Yeah. So it's not so much about logic and everything. Like if let's say you don't have the conviction, but you still have to summon that conv- conviction out. So let's say if you are, uh, you're selling for someone, let's say uh, you're selling Toyota cars, even if you don't, if you're a Toyota salesman, you better believe that Toyota is the best car in the world, even if there are other cars, but you've got to believe as a Toyota salesperson that Toyota is really the best, you know? So it's about, I, I think uh, there's this book by Blair Singer called The Little Voice Mastery, where it talks about sales is about and like about mastering the little voice in you first. Yeah, once you can master the little voice in you, right? Uh, then you'll be able to uh, convey that or like transmit that kind of energy to um, the audience. Yeah. So for me, I only sell products that I absolutely believe in. Okay, I don't sell products that I don't believe in. So uh, because I believe that that is important um, for my soul as the person. Like it's important that I maintain my structural integrity because if I keep selling things that I don't believe in, after a while I will start lying to myself and when I and, and I, do, I just don't like that feeling so um, for me that conviction comes from certainty because it comes from experiences uh, yeah so so it's confidence comes from competence yeah mm-hmm. and then um, how were you able to impart that onto the uh, into, into the client because um, I don't think she had built up a million dollar company in, in her level so she would have to have a different uh, uh, way to get there got it so um, it's different because for her she was uh, selling a property investment so she like when you are selling a property investment, the founder, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not like she's raising capital for her company. She's selling a property investment. So, so long as the property is sound, right? And uh, yeah, so so her conviction comes from the property being sound, which is sound, right? And now she's she's bought her second uh, piece of property, you know, uh, after raising capital again. So um, at 26 years old, I think that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I, I think so too. And 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 that clarifies it a great deal too, because it's in in, in, in the property sector and it's, you know, in real, real estate can, can be volatile at times, but for the most part, uh, uh, value does increase. So there is a, there, there is a holistic, there's like a collective confidence that comes from understanding um, the, the, the history and the future of that market. So that, that makes a great deal of sense. And, and something that happened was that her boyfriend was a, real estate agent so and yeah so her boyfriend has the knowledge you know and so so that helped as well as well and one thing is that uh, property in singapore naturally normally um, increases in value yeah. well talk about a power couple <laughs> yeah okay. by the way if you're a current user of debutify or haven't tried us out yet debutify version 3 has been released and now is a good time to upgrade or get started as any a streamlined user interface along with an ever-increasing array of conversion-boosting add-ons is waiting for you. So download today for free and start your journey. 
Who knows? Maybe I'll be interviewing you before too long. All right. So the next one I wanted to talk to you about was your was your business your business history. Um, so correct me if I've got any of this uh, uh, inaccurate. But there was food delivery, a sales team lead, sales and marketing agency, um, e-commerce business selling cosmetics, and then um, I, I, I guess I forget which part is now present as opposed to past. But you know now there's a, your coaching and seminar business. So uh, I usually this is the kind of question that people start off with. It's like, oh, tell us about your business history, but. I certainly wanted to make sure that we got around to it. It, it, it is a, 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 a long story, I'm sure, but I really want to know as much of this journey as you can tell. And, you know, similar to some of the insights that you've collected from like the interviewers and from your own case studies, you know, what were some of the things that stuck out to you throughout this journey along the way? Got it. Okay, so my first business was a healthy food delivery business, right? So I served the largest bank in Singapore called DBS Bank. And they had over 10,300 employees and they're like two towers of buildings, right? And we serve like some of their employees. And then my second business was I led a sales team of 140 people. So uh, that was when I was 19 years old. I built a sales team of 140 people in 10 months, right? From scratch. And then my third business was a sales and marketing agency. So I helped like hotels or uh, I helped um, network marketers, property agents to generate leads for their business. Fourth business was a six-figure e-commerce business selling cosmetics. And then right now, my coaching and seminar business. Um, so... In terms of the insights I've learned, more okay. I always I've never lost money doing business before. I've never lost money doing any of those businesses before. Okay, and I think one of the reasons is because I invested a lot of money on education. Like I've spent over a hundred thousand dollars on like seminars and coaching. And like my mom invested in me, right? Before I could afford it, right? And now that I can afford it, I've invested a lot of money in like my my own uh, personal development. Um, so um, going for a lot of um, business seminars since young, I started going for my first personal development seminar when I was 16 years old to learn about emotional mastery and all this kind of stuff, spiritual mastery and all that. My first business seminar was when I was 18 or 19 years old, okay, by JT Fox, right? And I flew all the way to Hanoi, you know, uh, for, for, uh, for four days to attend a business seminar. Um, so from learning all those kind of stuff, it, it, made, uh, it made me... Um, make sure that when I start a business, I don't lose money. And, and I would say that it's also in how I structure the deals that there's almost no way I can lose money in a business because I don't even, I don't even need money to start a business. Like a lot of people think that you need a lot of money to start a business. But that's not true. Okay? If you don't know how to make money without money, you won't, make, you won't know how to make money even if you have a lot of money. Right? So, um, yeah. So, so the insights I learned, I've learned, but mainly I always focus on one business at a time. Okay? So a lot of people ask me, oh, what happened to your other four businesses? So I always focus on one business at a time. Um, when I start getting um, bored, okay, like they'll always, I'll always have a pros and cons list or whether I should continue this business or start another business. And it will always be very logical. Like, I've never regretted leaving any of the businesses I've done before because it's either the next opportunity was better or, um, or, or, or something along those lines. But most of the time, why my businesses don't really take off, like my first four businesses, they, they were like six figures and everything, but I didn't really like take off to seven figures is because um, of partnership issues. And um, now, that, now because I interviewed like uh, Mike Moyer uh, about slicing pie, and he shared a different way of splitting equity. Uh, now, now in retrospect, I I realized that I'm not a person that can do partnership, like can do equity splits very well. Uh, and the reason why is not because I'm bad at equity splits, but it's because I didn't know how to do it the correct way. So like a lot of people when they split equity, they'll say, oh, you you get seventy percent of the company, I get thirty percent or fifty fifty or sixty forty or something, and they have a fixed split, right? So like. Let's say if I start off with 60-40, I still end off with 60-40. But here's the thing. Nothing is ever truly equal. Nothing is ever truly fair. Sometimes people um, 
invest. Uh, sometimes people put in more effort. Sometimes people contribute more and everything, right? So what Mike Moyer uh, proposes is a dynamic split, which means let's say at the start you own 60-40, okay? But if towards the end of the relationship, uh, one partner is putting in 70% of the work while the other is only putting in 30%, then the split should change to 70-30 along the way. And he has a whole book he wrote about that uh, where he explains like uh, how to quantify how to quantify uh, like how much is each, how much is effort worth. It's very hard to quantify effort, right? So um, if you want, you can watch that interview as well. You can search like Mike Moyer and Elric Ong. You can watch the interview. He talks about equity splits, yeah. Yeah, okay. I uh, I, I think that's a, that's very valuable to check it out. I mean, like, like I was alluding to at the beginning, uh, a lot of the people that you talk to uh, are certainly all people that are worthy of uh, being here on Economics as well, uh, to, to, to put it uh, charitably for myself. So what was interesting is that you know you're, you so you say that your mother was uh, had had invested in you and then you had uh, invested into these and I I can't say that I've talked to too many people who uh, put that degree of um, of investment and resources into seminars although it does manifest in different ways I mean you have people who put that kind of money into into a college and university education uh, for the uh, for the roll of the dice that that uh, turns out to be depending on you know, what program people take. I mean, one thing that I, I can't help but be skeptical about is some in in the way that like dropshipping, this being dropshipping country, has some negative connotations to it. Um, you know, s- s- these these seminars they can also have a stigma attached to it that they're 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 pyramid schemes or that there there's not going to be any anything actually uh, tangible for the people who attend. It's just it's just it's just a money sink for them. So I. I, I suppose that there are ones out there that are like that. I don't want to start pointing fingers or anything like that. But I would like to know is um, how you had uh, how you were vetting these programs just to get a good sense of what you were going to get out of it, and then you know how 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 you were able to personally make sure that you got the most amount of value and most amount of like action and incentive uh, after what you had done. Because one, one more thing I'll say, and then I'll let you have at it, is you know a thousand people can sign up for this. And they can have a thousand different takeaways. Some people can walk out of it thinking it was a ripoff because it didn't occur to them that they were missing a certain key motivating factor. So that's the thing about the coaching and seminar industry. And it's it's one of the th- reasons why I've wanted to leave this industry for a very, very long time. Uh, as in like, I, I, I feel passionate about coaching. I feel passionate about helping people. But I think this industry, um, honestly, like, like nowadays, when I look at a Facebook ad by another coach, the first thought that comes to my mind is scam, you know? And I, I think it's crazy um, like so, so when I run my own ads, because I run my own ads for my own seminars as well, I'm thinking are other people thinking I'm a scammer as well. And um, being a coach right, is the most closely related to becoming uh, to be called a scammer. Okay, if you look at almost every single coach or speaker, okay, who is in the seminar industry or the information business, who has a sizable amount of clients, they would definitely have people that call them uh, have bad reviews and people calling them a scammer and this kind of stuff. And the reason why is because there are a lot of free videos on YouTube and everything, right? But at the same time, so 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 it's it's a like I I I can't really fight this point because honestly there are a lot of coaches right. For example, they sell a ten thousand dollar coaching program, and um when the students don't get results, they say, hey, you see my method works. I made a I made ten million dollars through this method, right? But if you didn't get the results, it's because you didn't put in the work, and that's not my fault, you know. And because, and then, and that's the thing about coaching because. Coaching is like 50% the coach and maybe or maybe 20% the coach and 80% the client, right? And everyone's going to get a different experience. So it's the most closely related to becoming called a scammer. Um, but at the same time, um, I believe that coaching is such a valuable product because what I'm selling or what coaches are selling 
it's not videos, it's not a one-day course, it's not a five-day mastermind. At the end of the day, what they're selling is you, a better version of yourself, right? Like um, Joseph 2.0, right? So, so and and that's that's I, I think that's what's valuable about coaching, right? Um, so how do I vet um, coaching programs? Number one, I look at the testimonials. I look at the case studies. Um, number two, I also it's also based on how how you vibe with the person. Like, do you resonate with the person or not, right? Uh, and also, I think I think it's about making an accurate guess. Like, have I have I made money from learning coach uh, from learning stuff? Definitely, right? I would say like for me every day I'm learning like just before I was on this interview I was reading a book about franchising and all this kind of stuff right if I were to put I would if I were to attribute what I've earned to coaching I, I can't really attribute that I can't say oh I, I I make this amount of money because I read this book you know it could be a book that I read five years ago so it's so hard to attribute um so I would say that you can't really know for sure which investment is the best investment or anything I would say just the only way to know is to, is to go for it and and yeah some people they'll say oh I lost money and all this kind of stuff so I I I can't really fight. I can't really debate this point, or I can't really I can't really argue on both. I, I'm trying to be as objective as possible or sharing both sides, because I've been in this uh, space. So, but that's a good insight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the one insight that I haven't heard before is the idea that I'm, you know, I'm buying a better version of me. Uh, the idea that I can go in and I can I can listen to something because I'm trying to solve problems in my own mind. And sometimes just, you know, being present and not only uh, listening to the the speaker, but also, you know, connecting with the other people who are uh, uh, participating in this gives me an opportunity to solve these problems in my mind. Maybe somebody says something in a certain way that reconfigures it. And so I, I th- this ties into something that I've also felt was really important to, you know, when people will work position and they say, well, you know, you're, you can't, I can only pay you a little bit or not at all, but you're getting good exposure. And that term, that exposure, a lot of people, they just, they get so frustrated when they hear that. But I, I've been in that position where I was paid a little bit of money, but I got, I got a fair amount of exposure. The onus is always on me to extract the value that I need. And if I, if I walk away from something, not having extracted the value, I'm not going to blame somebody else for that. I am going to blame myself for, for that lack of value. And the funny thing is like when you're selling an online course, by the way, I just uh, rescheduled my next appointment to about 30 minutes uh, like for th- 30 minutes from now. So yeah. Like, okay, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm a, I was planning on another 10 minutes, but I uh, I appreciate it. Okay, okay, if you want to look at like how I learn stuff, right? Okay, I always learn things at two times, so sometimes three times, and sometimes 3.5 times or even four times, which means um, when I watch a YouTube video, I have an extension, right? I have this Google Chrome extension. Like the max you can speed up a video is two times, right? On YouTube. But I have this Google Chrome extension that I can speed up the video to 2.5 times, three times or 3.5 times, okay? It's called video controller. But anyway, so I always uh, consume content um, whenever I'm traveling to work, whenever I'm going back home. So imagine this. Let's say you you travel to school. Uh, let, let's say you travel to school, okay? Or you travel to work for 30 minutes, okay? Uh, and, you, and you travel back 30 minutes. That's one hour of traveling a day. If every day you just learn um, you know, at two times the speed. Okay, that's two hours worth of content, right? That's as much. In, in one year, that's like 600 hours of content. That's like going for 50 different seminars, you know, on exactly the topic that you want to learn. So I think it's about knowing, okay, so nowadays, okay, how I look at it is this. Nowadays, I buy information only to have the relationship with the person. So nowadays, I don't buy information for the sake of information anymore, but I buy information for the network that it gives me. For example, like sometimes I pay into masterminds with coaches and everything because of because I know that that network 
you know yeah so i pay for the network rather than for the information yeah because information honestly like you can really find it anywhere um, but another thing that is valuable uh, other than information is also implementation so for example um, one-to-one coaching that's valuable because like they really hold you accountable and make sure that you actually implement the steps or like let's say a group coaching program that um you know they keep they, they hold you accountable so um, in that sense uh, yeah, so, so I think it's always up to the learner to extract as much value as possible. But at the same time, I feel that there's a lot of coaches in the industry who are using that as an excuse and saying, hey, it was your fault, you know? Yeah. So, and if you look at, let's say, the digital marketing coaching industry, it's become like sort of like an MLM. So like a coach will coach a coach on how to coach a coach on how to coach a coach on how to coach a coach. And it's just, you know, but at the end of the day, when you look at it, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that, right? If I coach someone, to learn how to fish, to coach someone to learn how to fish, and everyone learns how to fish. What's wrong with that? I don't see anything wrong with that business model as well. So um, in every business model, there'll always be critics, there'll always be naysayers, but the, the, the flip side will always be true as well. Like there's always uh, the other side of it as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, I I, I, I had my own uh, degree of skepticism even uh, uh, entering into the e-commerce industry, you know, but it didn't take very long before I started getting my paychecks and I thought, oh, wait a minute, this industry is legit. All right, cool, I'm, I'm in a good place. Yeah, uh, so by the way, I... I you know I, I listen to like a, a great deal of content and I've I've never like taken the plunge and started listening to content at uh, at twice speed. Uh, I guess I was always worried that like it was happening so fast that I wouldn't absorb it. But it, I guess you know from 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 your uh, from your experience and and the level that you're at is that like there really hasn't been any drawbacks to to listening it at twice the speed. You've been able to effectively absorb the information and 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 no no downside to it. Um, okay, so here's the thing. Um, when I first started out, let's say when I was about 17, I started listening to content since probably about 17 years old. Right now, I'm about 24 years old, right? It's been, so when people look at me, they say, oh, you're an overnight success. But it's not true. It's like seven years of you know personal development and times three times the speed, you know? Yeah, okay, anyway. So um, I, start, I, I was listening to things at 1.7 times the speed for a very, very long time, okay? For maybe from 17 all the way until I was about 21 or 22, okay? And then I listened to things at two times the speed for about one year, okay? And before I started listening to things at 2.5 times and even three times and even 3.5 times, okay? Now, um, so the the comprehension doesn't drop at all and you'll be surprised, right, about how your how powerful your mind can actually be, about how powerful your brain can actually be, yeah? Like, your brain is like a muscle. The more you stretch it, the like, it's really, like, hey, if you go and try it, okay? Like, you just listen, okay, let's say you know that this is something you're comfortable at, you just uh, increase it by maybe... 0.1 times okay so let's say if you are comfortable with 1.5 times try 1.6 times okay and then until you, until you become so comfortable with that and you know that you can comprehend everything then move it to 1.7 times so it's really like lifting weights it's like um like yeah so 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 it's really like lifting weights uh so the comprehension doesn't drop okay but here's the thing sometimes when let's say i'm listening to a topic okay, so if let's say i'm listening to a topic about marketing branding or sales it's very easy for me to listen to the content because i like, i probably have heard of like 80 like when i learned content related to the topic I'm coaching on or something, I probably know about 80% or 90% of that thing already. So I'm just listening. And sometimes I listen to a one-hour video just for that five minutes of jam that maybe I have not heard of, heard of before, right? So it's very easy for me to um, read through the content, right? Um, but if let's say it's a, it's a completely new topic that I've not heard of, then I go about two times the speed or sometimes even 1.7 times or 
Yeah. Okay, I, I see. So, so familiarity and then your own internal muscle memory too helps to dictate the, uh, the, the pace at which uh, certain conversations go based on how uh, your, your prior familiarity. So I, I think a step, step one for a lot of people might be to listen to somebody who talks fast, like a, like a, like a Ben Shapiro kind of character, just to get used to somebody who speaks at a faster pace. My, uh, my, my girlfriend, she, I tried showing her a clip of him once and she was like, just like uh, completely rattled by it. But like over time, she actually got used to, to listening to him. Um, not, not to get into the views of it or anything like that, but he was just like the first fast talker that came to my mind. I only talk fast when I lose control of my, uh, of my thought process. So, or, or the nervousness gets, gets too far. I, I try to, I try to be like a, like a, like a, like a mellow flow. Yeah. For me, I have to consciously force myself to talk slower because like I always listen to things at three times the speed. So can you imagine when I'm speaking like that right now, to you, it might look like a lot of people say I'm a fast talker, right? But to me, it's slow already because my yeah because i'm listening to things at three times the speed so when i speak this this is like half the times that yeah so um <laughs> so so it's like a, it's like a quantum shift right like you're, you're like you're you're in like a like, uh, like a three x speed and it's like you're yeah. going forward in time and then all of a sudden like your your, your time travel slows down so yeah it's, it's 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 funny what it does to the head yeah so but, but it's amazing that the our ears can listen a lot faster than our mouth can speak so yeah so go and try it out i think you'll like the results and if you look at it Two people, okay? One person listens at one times the speed, one person listens at 1.5 times the speed. In the long run, in 10 years, one person, like the compound effect, it's not just the, 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 the knowledge, but the compound effect of that knowledge is going to be exponential. Like just increasing by 0.1 times is exponential, yeah. Okay, uh, what, one last question about that one. This is just out of curiosity, but if you make time to listen to music, do you keep music on the, uh, on the, on the one time speed just because that was the artist's intention? Got it. So um, for music, I listen at one times the speed, but I seldom listen to music. So if let's say I'm traveling, I, I don't I, I, I don't listen to music. I, I normally listen to like audio content and like seminars and talks and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 Because uh, yeah, that, that, that's fair. Like um, it, it, for me, it'll depend on what I'm doing. Like if I have to, to think and have to type something, it helps to just have like lo-fi music on in the background. But the moment I can throw on the radio, I love my YouTube algorithm because every, I have my, my debutify YouTube account and everybody that I've interviewed, I subscribe to. So my YouTube algorithm is dumping like third, like uh, 30 hours worth of content every day. And so one of, one of the most fun things that I have is just like listening to previous guests or, or future guests and just like having all of that content coming in while I'm working on it. So it, it, it is a lot of fun coming from a, uh, from long-time listeners such as myself. So cool. So we, we do, we do have you for, for, for some time now, I guess I'll, I'll maybe another 10 minutes to go. And so then that way you can. About, about 10, 20, okay. 30 minutes. About 30 minutes. Okay. 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 So there's, there's a couple. Questions. Pardon me? You asked great questions. Oh, thank you. Well, I, 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 I appreciate that. Like, like I mentioned to, 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 I think I mentioned it to you before and I mentioned to other people, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to take your time, I want to make sure that I do the, the best job that I can. It is my job after all. So there, there, there's that. Um, I got, I got some, uh, some, I guess these one might be a little bit more rapid fire. Um, cause I looked at, I, I try to look at like different, either like services or elements to, to your work profile, just to add a little something new to the nexus of understanding that my audience and myself have at this point. Um, out of all of your courses, there's one called the flywheel and I don't know what that is. And I've tried to picture it in my mind and it got very cartoonish very quick. So I, can you, can you let us know what a flywheel is? Okay, so it's called the Alaric flywheel, okay? The Alaric so, flywheel, okay. Um, it's a proprietary um, thing that I do. So Alaric is A-L-A-R-I-C, right? So it stands for attention, leads, appointments, revenue, invest, and compound. So how, how I look at it is like um, in any business, okay, you need to generate attention, right? Like let's say you run ads or let's say you create content that's attention, right? Then you need to convert them into a lead. So a lead can be an opt-in, 
a lead can be someone who register for, registers for your webinar. A lead can be someone who opts in for a free book and be a, a lead, right? And then after you get the lead, you either turn that into an appointment or an attendee. So if it's a webinar, an attendee for a webinar. If it's an appointment, an appointment, okay? And then you close them on the appointment and that becomes revenue, okay? So if you look at every single sales process, okay? It's always attention, leads, appointments, revenue, okay? Um, almost every sales process uh, works the same way. Um, okay, so... So, and then the last two is invest and compound. So here's, here's how it goes. So let's say I spend $1,000 on ads, okay? And I generate 100 leads and I get, uh, let's say 20 appointments. And let's say I close four sales, okay? So let's say I make uh, $2,000 back out. So I put $1,000 in and I, I get $2,000 back out. So I take $2,000, I invest back into the Flywheel, okay? Uh, so now I put $2,000 in the uh, Flywheel, I get uh, 200 leads, maybe 40 appointments and eight sales. And now I make $4,000 back out. $4,000, $8,000, $8,000, $16,000, $16,000, 32000 And with just 10 cycles, I can turn $1,000 into a million and $24,000 with just 10 cycles. Okay? Uh, $1,000, $2,000, $4,000, $8,000, $16,000, $32,000, $64,000, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000, $
So like uh, for physical business, yeah, uh, an appointment is someone going to the shop, right? Yeah. And then it, then it, they become revenue. That's revenue. Yeah. yeah. So something. Well, it's it, it's a helpful way to uh, to think about it, um, and and to to continue to calibrate and even in in my own mind, you know, the the process. It's it, it ties into a lot of things that I've had the the um, the honor to talk to other people about too. But I it's it's a helpful take on it. Uh, one of the things that I happen to wonder about it is. And again, this is going to be, this has got to be specific depending on what business venture somebody's doing. But let's just say I'm putting a thousand dollars into it. It would, the money wouldn't all be in the attention. I think some of that money has to be invested to make sure that the lead and the appointment, for instance, like running a Shopify store, having the apps uh, effective. So have you noticed like a percentage degree, like, like 50% in advertising, 70% in advertising, and then the rest of it goes into the other sides? Or have you noticed times where it's more even and the money is invested almost like equally across the, the different areas? Or if there's areas where they don't really need to, well, I mean, at one point you get paid. So I suppose there is a part where you don't, you should have to pay for that, but yeah. So the flywheel is... So for example, a Shopify store is the, fly, is the flywheel. The Shopify store itself is the flywheel. For example, I have an automated webinar funnel, okay? So it turns, appointment, it turns sales for me automatically. When I'm sleeping is when most of my sales come in, right? So that is my flywheel, okay? So um, once you develop that system, okay, which you can spend money to develop the system, let's say a Shopify store, you can, you can spend money on the apps and all that. But um, I'm saying that once you have the system, okay, I, I'm not sure how much of money you spend on setting up the system, but once you have the system, if you can turn a thousand dollars into two thousand dollars, you'll be a millionaire. So basically, that's just the concept of it. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's mainly the concept of it. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So there, there's two other um, ones that I wanted to ask you about uh, along these lines, and I, I can kind of anticipate that maybe uh, what I'm about to ask is is related to to the flywheel. So one of them is you know your ultimate success formula, which I looked at very briefly, and it's kind of like a a flow of how of where somebody's activity goes and how to like get if somebody gets to like a failure point that's not actually a failure point it's a learning point how to like reinvest that so i wanted to hear about that and the other one i wanted to hear about too um which is also like the apollo method uh i i, I didn't look into that in particular it just it, it, it did stick out to me by, by the name of it so is that something that we can touch on as well sure okay so the, uh, the ultimate success formula i think i learned this when i was like in when i was 16 years old at some seminar is basically um first you have a goal right and then you you come up with a strategy and then you you take action, okay? And when you take action, there's only two outcomes that can happen. Either number one, you hit the goal, or number two, you don't hit the goal. If you hit the goal, that's success, right? If you don't hit the goal, which most of the time it happens, it's 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 counted as failure, right? But we don't count it as failure, we count it as feedback. So it's feedback that this strategy doesn't work. So what do we do? We just have to change the strategy and then take action again. If we fail, change strategy, take action again. Fail, change strategy, take action again. There'll be one of the strategies, you just keep trying and trying and trying. There'll be one of the strategies that work and you get success. So that's basically what the ultimate success formula is. And it's something I apply in my life, right? Um, in everything I do, like when I'm testing a new funnel, when I'm testing a new shop, when I'm testing a new webinar, you know, I just keep trying the, I just, just keep trying it. And if it doesn't work, I just change the webinar, change the slides, change anything. And I, and I launch it again. Um, so that's basically what the ultimate success formula is. Um, as for the upload method, the upload method is basically what, okay, so like my website is theapolomethod.com, okay? A-P-O-L-L-O, M-E-T-H-O-D, right? The Apollo Method.com. Um, so the Apollo Method is basically a way for, for people to set appointments with co-market. Okay? So for example, when I was building my team of 140 people in 10 months, when I was in my second business, I I ran out of leads to prospect, okay? Because I, I prospected all my hot market and warm market, all my family and friends. I had no more family and friends to prospect. So I had to look for the co-market. So I went to Facebook and I used, uh, I, 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 I talked to people. And the first 
10 appointments so super hard to get. I took like probably a month to get the first 10 appointments. So I was trying to figure out like which script works, which which messaging style works. And after I figure out what messaging style works, I developed this thing called the Apollo method, which is like a script on how to set appointments. Okay. And one of the reasons why it is so effective is because of how fast it is. So like I can send one text, they reply. I send another text, they reply. I send a third text, they reply. By the fourth text, boom, I get an appointment. That's how fast the appointment is. Okay. I've explored other systems where um there are other systems where um People just blast people like one whole long chunk of text and expect people to reply. And I realized that doesn't work very well. And I've always, uh, yeah, I've explored a lot of different uh, systems. And like for me, I've developed upload method so much that because I've talked to tens of thousands of people before, I know exactly what people say even before they say it. So like, I know if I say this, they'll either say this or that. If they say that, then I'll reply this. If they say this, you know, so I, I know exactly how the whole script will play out. Um, yeah, so that's basically what the upload method is. It's an appointment setting um, formula. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, there, there's definitely a lot here that I think people um, are, are well served to, uh, to to check out your content and to, and to you know, set this in depth. As I've said hundreds of times, actually maybe each and every time I've had an episode is, you know, I've got you here for like an hour, hour 10, but people have all the time in the world to, to, to check out this content and then, you know, speed it up to 1.5 or 2.0 or 2.0. Same value, less time. Uh, so th there was, um, so there was something else I wanted to ask and I'll make this the last thing that we, that we talk about today. Uh, so we're just going to like, we're going to decompress. So uh, this is, this is a philosophical thing. Uh, I, I briefly looked at your your ebook, which was the the illusion of right and wrong, and I didn't I I read as much as you know I had time uh, to to read the whole and the whole book is available to read for free uh, at least as far as I know right unless I got to like page ten and then a, a paywall pops up but no, no, it's, it okay okay it's yeah. all right cool uh, I I'd love to hear the 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 premise of this and I guess like what is the 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 prevailing philosophy of this that is um, having uh, a say in your decision-making process even on a day like today. So basically, what's the illusion of right and wrong? Just to give the audience context. If you want to get all these books, just go to alaric.site slash books. Uh, slash book. Okay? Slash book or slash books. You just try try either one, right? Okay, so um, the illusion of right and wrong was the first book I've ever written in my life. I wrote it when I was 18 years old. It was a, it was a book I wrote it was not a business book at all. It's just a book about philosophy and explaining like what makes something right and something wrong. And I realized that there's no such thing as right or wrong. There's only um, that right and wrong is relative. Now, right and, wrong, right and wrong is not subjective. Right and wrong is relative. Okay? Now, I've gotten in so many arguments with um, um, Christians about this before. <laughs> okay? Because like, my mom is a, uh, my, my sister is a Catholic nun. Okay? My, my sister is a Catholic nun in Spain. I actually argued with all the uh, um, priests and all the brothers over there uh, and all the nuns over there. Um, Okay, but basically what that book is about is, is saying that actually right and wrong doesn't exist, okay? What makes something right and wrong is a direction that makes it right and wrong. Not what we think is right and wrong, okay, but a direction. So for example, okay, okay. so this book is a 60-page book, so it, like, you definitely need to read the whole 60-page to get a full gist of it. But um, for example, um, like left and right can only exist when there's a direction, right? Like if I'm facing you, then this becomes left, this becomes right. If I'm facing the other way, then right becomes left and left becomes right, right? So right and wrong is like left and right, okay? Right left, right and wrong can only exist when there's a direction in the first place. So for example, okay, um, if let's say I say um, I want to end human suffering, okay? So that's the direction, okay? Then um, would rape be right or wrong? Rape would definitely be wrong because unless I can argue that rape doesn't cause human suffering, then I can say that rape is right, okay? 
if but other than that, then rape is wrong. Okay. But I cannot, but if let's say I don't have a direction in the first place, if let's say I it's in a vacuum and I just say rape is wrong, that, that's not a true statement because um rape is only wrong when there's a direction in the first place. So so um right and wrong only exists when there's a direction. So for example, if let's say I'm growing a business, okay, and let's say my direction is to grow a business, uh, then there are certain activities that I do that are right and certain activities that I do that are wrong. Okay. But if I, if I didn't have a direction to grow my business, or if I didn't have a direction to be healthy, or if I didn't have a direction, if I didn't want to have a certain direction, then the right and wrong doesn't exist. I'm not sure if you, does that make sense? It, it does. Um, so, but the one thing that uh, pops out in my mind, and perhaps you've had this argument before, is that so like, if you go back a step and you ask about, well, what is, okay, so if, if I want to end suffering, is that not a instance where I am considering the right and wrong because it's my definition of suffering, for instance. So I think even to, to have that decision uh, would mean that there had to be a prior direction to that. And so then you get into this, this direct note backlog where each direction is influencing the next set of directions. So, yeah. so okay. So, so that's a good, that's a good one. So for example, um, that's why I always believe whenever I look at any debate, if any debate talks about is something right or wrong, that debate is bound to fail in the first place. Why? Because if they didn't have a predetermined direction from the start of the debate, that, that debate won't even make sense. Okay, for example, if someone says, is abortion right or wrong? That debate won't make sense because unless you say, okay, if we want uh, humanity to um, continue existing for the longest period of time, is abortion right or wrong? Or if we want to um, end human suffering, is uh, abortion right or wrong? So, so when people choose a debate, they first have to pick a direction that they both can agree on that is the direction that they want to go. Then only they can debate from that. If not, they will always be debating in different directions and the debate will never go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I did so I did debate in, in high school uh, briefly because uh, I was attracted to somebody on the debate team. T- typical high school movie stuff. Didn't work out, but that's okay. I'm, I'm happier now anyways. And and, I, and I, I've, I've been in, in some debates where like I've gone in with the mindset of I'm going to beat this guy. I'm going to crush this guy. I'm going to destroy this guy. And and. I'm glad I, I've grown out of that because it is not the correct way to debate. The correct way to debate is to, like you say, find a direction. I, I, I might calibrate it closer in my view as like solving a problem. And then I'm using somebody with a different set of views to challenge my thinking so that I can improve it. Um, it, it, this is the, it gets into politics, but like, you know, you get like a libertarian, you get a liberal, you get conservatives, and if all these people have the, all these different mindsets and what they're all trying to do is just provide solutions to the problems and challenge each other's weaknesses so that everybody walks away stronger. So coming back to what you said at the beginning, it, it can be a win-win scenario if you know everybody understands that. But you know, uh, culturally, unfortunately, there is a lot of that like, oh, this guy is going to destroy this other guy. And there's a lot of like immaturity in that, which, by the way, I've been guilty of too. So, you know, if I can get out of it, hopefully other people will as well. We 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 can we can uh, we can we can uh, certainly uh, talk, talk more about this, but I think we'll we'll let it go there for now, and then I would uh, love to maybe follow up on this conversation down the line. Give yourself a couple of quarters, and then we'd be more than happy to have you back on the program. I mean, we can do another round two if you want. Yeah, like another even have more time. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, 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 I unfortunately, I got to move on with my my day as well. So, uh, yeah, sure. I, I am I am gonna wrap it up, but you know, I. Leave yeah, the saying, audience wanting more, right? Yeah. So. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, we're, we're, we're on the same page there. Uh, got ourselves a direction. By the way, okay, one, one other thing. Uh, have you have you considered um, doing an audiobook uh, recording of this so that people can try listening to you at two times speed? Because I think that would be... <laughs> that the would illusion be a, of right and wrong? Or, yeah. I mean, if there's the ima- enough demand for it, probably I'll, probably I'll do it. But, but it's, yeah, to me, it's, it doesn't... Yeah, it's just a philosophical book and uh, 
Yeah, I think. Well, well, well I think it'd be interesting. It, it just it just talking to like you know, uh, uh, listening to content at two x speed uh, at the, at the pace that you go, and then you you try like, how would I sound if I was going at four times speed or six times speed? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really fast. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so with that, uh, Alaric Moses-Ong, this has been a fantastic conversation. I, I, I can't thank you enough. And I've certainly learned a, a, a great deal today. And, I'm, and I hope, hope my audience does as well. So the last thing to, to do is if you have any final words of wisdom, part, you know, like a, a preferred proverb, something along those lines, you're welcome to share it with us. And then let the audience know, uh, just run through how they can get uh, get in contact with you and where they can find you. Got it. Okay. So um, one, I think one, one uh, I, I think... The difference between rich people and poor people after like interviewing so many people is really how they think. And I used to think that like mindset is not important, but I realized that mindset is really the key. Like mindset is like really 80% of the game. Um, how a billionaire thinks versus how a millionaire thinks versus how a thousandaire thinks is completely different. Okay? Um, so um, if, if I, so I've got free resource I want to give everyone, which is um, you can go to YouTube and then you search um, hypnosis by Eric Long. I've got two hypnosis um, over there. It's, this hypnosis is something you listen to at night. Um, so millionaire hypnosis okay, so the first one is called millionaire hypnosis where um, it will tell you like oh you're successful you're entrepreneurial and everything so like after you start listening you, you start believing good things about yourself you start believing that hey you're successful you're driven you're entrepreneurial etc and then um, another book uh, another hypnosis I have is called a sales closer hypnosis and I always listen to this before every appointment I do like the sales closer will tell, uh, hypnosis will say like oh um, people are going to buy from you no matter what it's whether they buy now or they buy in, in uh, 30 days or they buy one year from now they, you know um, and like people that you, people love to buy from you, so, so it's giving you the right um, beliefs to succeed in business and life. Okay, so so that's uh, two hypnosis you can you can search for. Uh, just search hypnosis by Eric Ong on um, YouTube. Um, and in terms of my social media handles, it's uh, you just search Eric Moses Ong A L A R I C space M O S E S space O N G. Okay, uh, my website is elericong.com. My Instagram is A-L-A-R-I-C-O-N-G-G. Um, Facebook is Alaric Moses Ong. Uh, YouTube, Alaric Moses Ong. I'm Alaric Moses Ong on most, most places, yeah. Oh, and my business website is theapolomethod.com. T-H-E-A-P-O-L-L-O. M-E-T-H-O-D.com. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, uh, well, to our audience, this this has certainly been an, an episode where we've gotten into some granular territory and some some big picture philosophical territory. So uh, if, if everything uh, needs to be listened to again, feel free to listen to it again and uh, try out uh, listening to it on a different speed because uh, you never know. It might actually be better for you that way. So with that, uh, thank you to, to, to my guest for, for being here and thank you to all of you for your participation. So take care and we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com. Or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>